It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and welcome to The Game, your audio analysis of the week in football. This week, I'm joined by Rory Smith, a rather ill-sounding Tony Cascarino, and, of course, from Ripponen, it's Mr. Ollie Kay. Later on, we'll be discussing empowerment and controversy at White Hart Lane. But first, we go to Villa Park. Ollie, I feel stupid even asking this question because I feel like we say this like, every week, but um, it's pretty remarkable stats involving United. I think it's um, 17 games they've played this season. Uh, Ten times uh, they've had to come from behind. Uh, they've made up 15 points in, in that run. It, is there any logical, rational reason for this? Because they seem to be such outliers, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it's, it's not such an outlier when you consider that Manchester City seem to be doing something similar. And, and I would say that um, in both, in the case of both City and United, um, there, there's a real vulnerability about them this season in the way they're defending. But it always seems like the earlier teams score against them, the more they sort of are in danger of being swamped in the closing stages. Uh, we saw it at City yesterday uh, against Tottenham. We certainly saw it on Saturday with... Um, United swamping Aston Villa in the in the in the closing stages. I, I think teams just panic when when they lead against them. United never panic, and 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 the teams that um, the teams that are defending against them sort of almost seem to come to this um, feeling that it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and, and you know, even on days when United don't hit top 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 form. It, it, it does seem to happen. Take a lead, sit back, counterattack, kill the game. Isn't this sort of a legitimate way of playing against United when you have the lead? It is, yeah, and that's that's why teams do it. Too often, teams just cede the initiative. They seem to sort of almost expect that that wave to come from United, and the, and the, then they're sort of surprised when it does. But why does it happen? Well, I think it, it, it's, it happens because it's happened so much. Basically, it's kind of this sort of self-fulfilling cycle that United, everyone expects United to come back from 2-0, from 2-1 two, two down to win. So they do, and teams kind of acquiesce to their fate. And it, you can see it two ways. You can either see it as United attacking brilliance, or you can see it that teams are kind of, yeah, waiting for waiting for this to happen. And I, I think both are, both, both kind of exist, both are true. 
Ali, uh, let's talk Chicharito because obviously, you know, that's, that's one of the one of the ways you can read the game is that that's really what what, what changed it. Um, at halftime, he comes on for Ashley Young. They move things around. Wayne Rooney um, starts sitting deeper in his uh, in his new number ten position, as some people like to call it. Um, and this guy goes and scores what everybody here calls a hat trick. What you know, some of us old school people say that if the ball comes in, goes goes in off Ron Flores' backside and was not going into the goal, probably shouldn't have counted. But regardless, changes the game. Um, it, I want to ask you about Chicharito because, yeah, we talk about all the strikers he has and and, and whatever else, but we both know that uh, in in August, I guess. People started knocking on his door because they, they they did the maths and it's Van Persie, it's Rooney, it's Kagawa, it's Welbeck, um, plus the wingers, of course. Uh, he stuck around. Uh, Sir Alex or, or Sir Alex wouldn't let him go, um, and now he's rewarding him. Are, are you surprised by how it's turned out? Uh, I was slightly surprised by how it didn't turn out so well for last season, where, where he seemed to have a, uh, he seemed to sort of hit a, a bit of a block in his development after that brilliant first season. His, his form last season, uh, you know, there were goals here and there, but there was never the sort of persistent threat that there had been previously. Um, and it seems like he, he's got back into the groove um, over the last few weeks in particular. His, his record this season seems to be better, um, particularly coming off the bench. And um, I mean, his performance on on Saturday—it's it's, it's a, an understatement to say it was it was game changing. He, he was he was brilliant. His movement was uh, was fantastic for for the goals, and um, I mean, obviously the, the marking was particularly slack for that for, for the third one. But it's um, no, I, I, he, he has got um, everything in his locker to to be this sort of Solskjaer type. Um, who, who comes off the bench to score, or who, who sort of comes in, does a, does a great job for one game, moves out again for two games, comes back in again. He, he seems to be a player who who adjusts very well to that type of role, and I think that is the type of thing that you know when we talk about teams that have four great strikers or, or whatever, it's essential that at least one or two of them are, are willing to play that squad game, and, and he is seemingly um, willing to do it and, and, and very good at it. Cass, I want to ask you about that because at, at that age, sort of 23, 24, um, that, that, that he's approaching is, you know, is that what you want to do? Do you want to be a soul shy type? Or, you know, it's a classic sort of, uh, you know, big fish, small pond situation possibly were he to leave. But I... I don't know. I, I'm just. I'm just wondering. I mean, how, how did how did you approach it? Did you did you find when you were playing? Did you find yourself in teams where, you know, later in your career, perhaps when 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 you were you know a squad striker, mm. did you accept it because you were like, yeah, these guys clearly are better than me. Mm. But then maybe when you were younger, you said, well, I'm not going to play. I kind of want to go somewhere else. Well. First of all, we are hated, Gab. You know, that, that role that he's been given. And I touched on with Rory over the last few weeks about Dzeko doing the same with Man City. As you end up becoming a bit of a super sub. I mean, I, I had scored six out of seven internationals at one stage and knew I was going to play second fiddle to Noel Quinn at international level. And um, it, it was difficult because you just knew that, like probably Hernandez does, that he's not going to nudge out Rooney and and Percy that's not going to happen and also Fergie looks at him and thinks what a fabulous game changer I've got I've got a guy I can know I can sling on I know he can turn around a match for me and that makes it even more unfortunate in some ways for Hernandez because now he's found a role where he seems to fit perfectly I mean I, I, 
this super sub thing, lots of clubs love to have them. United have had it before, and Oliver, Oliver just touched on the, the, the Schalke, which is a perfect, you know, sort of comparison. But I looked at sort of, you know, maybe Chelsea are hoping that Victor Moses might do that. You know, Dzeko has certainly done it for, for Man City. And, and you look at him and you just think he's too good. I, I think he's a fabulous striker. He's, he's one of them. He never stops moving. So he's very hard to mark. He will never. He will get all. T- he, he will get all types of goals as well. If you take his third goal, it's all about getting half a yard, getting across a body, gets his head on it, and buries it in the bottom corner. Because he's a very good header of the ball, and that's what you know. That's what's going to be frustrating for him because I just can't see him long term getting down a firm fixture in the team. Unfortunately so, for him. So that being the case, then, no, Roy. I mean, and, and Hernandez is a bit unusual in the sense that he's he's an intelligent guy. He's you know he's he's got some university uh, as well. He comes from a certain background. Hey, do you think he's going to continue accepting a walk-on part in Sir Alex's war rather than a lead role in some gilded uh, Europa League cage? You've been working on that, haven't oh, you? Yes. Yeah, it's nice. Um, I I I find the the psychology of a, of a substitute really interesting. I, does it? As Tony touches on it, must, it must be really hard for, for Hernandez or Jacko or whoever to know that they're doing really well, that they're having this incredible impact, but that whatever they do, they're kind of they're, yeah, they're typecast and they're kind of condemned to exist. You know that they will not play, they won't start the next game, they won't start. You know, they're not. Hernandez is never going to convince Ferguson to say, right, you know what, that money I spent on Van Persie, well, going to write that off. One second, I know we talk about Jacko, we'll talk about City, yeah. bit, but it. I think Jekyll's perhaps slightly different in the sense that, A, Manchester City's manager isn't some monolithic figure who will be there forever and ever. B, Jekyll is a little bit older. C, Jekyll makes a hell, hell of a lot more money than Chicharito makes. And also, Jekyll's been a starter. He's been a superstar in yeah, Europe. Yeah, and so, that's, that's the difference. That Hernandez, I think, certainly for the next year, couple of years, will probably be more than happy to play that sort of Solskjaer role at United. There will come a point, I would have thought, when 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 he'll think, you know what, I, need, I want to be playing regularly, I want to be a first-team footballer. I think that every player reaches that point when they, they want to kind of make that leap between young player, young prospect, and regular starter, regular star. And that will come to Hernandez. I mean, the, the question is, and the issue is, I guess, for him, is the law of being at United in any capacity whatsoever bigger than being a starter for maybe a, a slightly lower-tier club? Or could he be a starter at, at another club challenging for the title? Would you rather be a, a Solskjaer or a Shearer, I guess? is what Yeah, that's kind of the debate, yeah. Um, let's say, enough United talk. Uh, let's talk Philip. Okay, Paul Lambert obviously had, a, had an up-and-down start. He had a difficult departure from, from Norwich, but... When you look at this, when I saw this, the, the, the starting lineup for this game, um, and, you, and I just asked myself, how many of these guys were Villa players even a year ago, were Villa regulars um, a year ago? I, this team's really been, been turned inside out. Um, is that something that, I mean, if you want to be really cynical, you say Lambert's doing this to give himself an alibi and he's playing the kids because nobody will boo the kids and whatever. Or you could say Lambert actually has a real plan here and it's going to take some time to get to fruition. It seems to be slightly sort of similar to the Brendan Rodgers thing at Liverpool where you know, Rodgers is playing a lot of younger players. He, he's, uh, you know, the squad looks a lot younger, looks a lot thinner, looks a lot hungrier perhaps, but, but there's an awful lack of experience. Um, and I mean... 
you know, one thing both clubs have got in common is, is American ownership. American ownership seems to be about keeping costs down. Obviously, there's a there's a value thing, but th- th- there seems to be a a great desire to keep costs down and, and not um, not invest hugely in. in aging players on bigger salaries which uh, I think the before think, uh, sorry Ollie they did that before of course when, yeah, yeah, when your yeah, friend no, Martin O'Neill was there and we saw how well that worked out that's what I was saying you know they both had their fingers burnt on that they got both going in a different direction and I think a lot of people a lot of fans of, of both of those clubs are, are very encouraged by it and think it, you know it's, 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 it's a great healthy thing to be doing and it certainly looks progressive but you, you wonder to what extent it, it's, it's about not investing rather than about getting value um Villa, I, I think you, know, they, you look at them the last few seasons, it's just looked incredibly stale at Villa Park. Everything has looked stale since perhaps the, the final months of O'Neill's time. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, they, they've gone in, in a different direction with younger, hungrier, more energetic, completely unproven players. And, you know, they, they, there, are, there are pros and cons to that approach. I think, I think we saw the pros in the first half and the, the cons in the second. There's no question that... that Sorry, is that true, Roy? Is this, I mean, it, did they lose because you got Loughton and West? I mean, I thought we'd be praising somebody from, for playing, you know, young British players. Yeah, it seems to be important to, 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 to you lot when, when you guys do that. It's not important to me. Not but you, it's the generic you lot. But the... Uh, Lambert's not not Lambert's not doing that because he he wants to. He didn't go into into Villa Park and say, do you know, what, I really want to sign, let's sign that lad from Sheffield United. That's exactly what I want to do. He's doing it because Randy Lerner has effectively pulled out of Aston Villa in in real terms. He will not invest in the squad. There's an interesting point with, and I, I don't have a question. I don't have an answer to the question on American owners. Obviously, FSG at Liverpool, Randy Lerner both own American sports franchises where the wage bills will be massively higher than they are in the Premier League, especially Aston Villa, even under Martin O'Neill. Why are they so terrified of the wages in English football? I don't understand. Would you like me to answer that? If you could, yeah, that'd be wonderful. Uh, Yeah. So in American sports, you have um, it's it's a completely different business model. So they they would have a salary cap, which so they know the wages are only going to be. They know they know their costs going in cannot be over a certain amount, and they also have an enormous TV contract, and so they'll know that they'll get this much coming in and they'll get this much coming in from season ticket sales. The only variable really over the course of a season for them, for, for, for whether a franchise makes or loses money, is going to be a little marginal amount related to attendance and a little bit related to merchandising. Okay, That's all it sure, is. In England, it's very different. Surely, in the in the Premier League or any European football league, you, you mu- it's not a complicated business. You must roughly know what your income's going to be, from, certainly from telly and from, from season ticket sales, roughly. I agree that there's not a salary cap, but there's, there's no reason to asset strip a squad the way that Aston Villa have without reinvesting that money. It's, it's, I, I think Lambert is a brilliant yeah. manager. I think tactically he's really alert. I really, li- really like him. He's very promising. I think of that crop of managers, he's the best. But there's a limit to what he can achieve with a squad made up of, of young players, some of whom are relatively talented, none of whom are going to sort of set the world alight, I don't think. And built on a shoestring, it's just not. So he's not. He deserves praise for sort of competing with Manchester United with with a team of young players. He doesn't deserve praise for playing young players. He has to play young players. He doesn't have a choice. I had this experience a while back where I, I wrote about uh, Everton and Everton's longer term future, and all these people said, "Oh, you're crazy now because Everton are a massive club, massive this, massive that, massive my ass." But I look at this, and the the, 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 the real economics of football today. I'd argue that Villa, in terms of catchment area and demographics, probably has potentially a lot more potential than a club like Everton. Am I wrong there? Who has the brighter future? 
I don't know. I'm not sure, Gab. Well, you're from there, Rory. Back me up. <laughs> I mean... The affluent city. Sorry? Birmingham, it isn't an especially affluent city. Whereas Liverpool is Monte Carlo. Okay. (laughs) Gab, so many clubs, you know, decisions, what they make at board level determine their future, and you've got to have the right people. Everton have done very, very well for me in what they've they've achieved because they've done it, you know, in a very... We're not going forward. I don't care about who's done well in the past, okay? I'm asking, going forward, where's the... You don't know that. Sorry? The future's an illusion. The future's an illusion. Oh, Chas, that's nice. Oh, he's good. That is is nice. On that metaphysical uh, (laughs) note, I bow out and uh, move on to Manchester City, where the future is, uh, is very real. I was hoping not to talk about Mario Balotelli because he didn't play in this game and he was in the stands, but because the cameras had to show him with his uh, with his big hoodie and linger on him for a long, long time. Uh, I need to get this out of the way. All of you are the best informed on everything uh, out of all of us. Uh, is there some secret story about Mario Balotelli and why he didn't start? Why Brazak was on the bench? There, there usually is. And, um, what is so it? Come out, but, uh, I, I'm not aware at the time that we, you know, at the time of recording this. Um, I, I know that it, it was, it was certainly not an injury, certainly not an illness, um, probably not tactical. It was, it was, you know, there's an issue where they didn't want him to be in the 18-man squad, and they wanted um, Scott Sinclair and Abdul Razak to be in, in there ahead of him. And um, you know, David Platt was saying, oh, well, we can only find 18 players. Well, it, it's been very rare for Bagatelli uh, not to be amongst those 18 players and, and for there not to be four strikers um, among those 18 players. So, uh, you, you know my views on Bagatelli. I, I, I don't think he's... I don't think he's worth the aggro. Um, and I think... No, we're not, we're not, we, don't, we know your views. We don't need to hear them again. Mario Balotelli is addicted to jigsaws and was up until 6 in the morning doing a jigsaw on the morning of the game. A jigsaw puzzle or actual like woodworking? No, a jigsaw puzzle. He likes thousand pieces. That's the not, that's the actual not story. Not the power tools. Not the power. He doesn't like power tools at all. No. Um, Cass, uh, let's move on to you uh, since we, we do have, we've exhausted our Balotelli quota here. Um, Spurs take the lead, but I kind of thought that um, City really actually pummeled them in the first half and really should have been should have been up. And I thought mm. there were two big refereeing decisions which. Uh, could have easily gone the other way, mm. uh, certainly with uh, with Gallus and uh, the, the tackle on on Zabaleta. Yeah, um, is that how you saw it? Yeah, I, I mean, City play, have played better than, than they have done in recent games, Gad. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, they're a side that sort of still were frustrated because we're all looking at what we saw last year. I think that's been the. The, the surprising factor is they were so good up until what November, December last year that they frightened the death of people. Two teams, you know, scared the life out of them, and they haven't got to that level this year. It was so I was so pleased that David Silva was back because I just think they're a far different team when he's in it. Um, they were the better team, and uh, I mean. Tottenham's threats are always with their wide boys. You know, you look at Bale and Lennon, you know the pace they've got. Bit surprised Defoe didn't play. I mean, he's been on incredible goal-scoring run. Uh, but I did think that City were the better team on the day. Um, 
Roy, I, I sense a rant coming on, um, and I devote this to all those people who declared Micon dead because, uh, was it two, three years ago, uh, Gareth Bale um, has one good game against them, and then he has another chunk of a game um, where, Sp- where uh, Spurs, I believe, were losing 4-0 at the time. Um, and, oh, taxi for Micon, taxi for Micon. And I, and I, and I looked at and, and on, on Twitter when he came on, you know, I saw all the more morons, the retweets. And you know what? Um, Mike on, who was a Champions League winner, uh, Mike on, who's not old, Mike on, who is and has been one of the best right backs in the world, he had Mr. Bale um, in his pocket, I thought, for the, for the rest of the second half. So can all those people go and um, kiss my ass? Uh, no, I think it's, it's true that, that one game in the Champions League when... Yeah, when th- you, you're sort of having a bad night against Tottenham, I think that probably is the, is the defining moment of Micron's career. I think he probably just thinks about that rather than all the trophies he's won and you know winning the treble with Inter and all that. I think he's you know probably not fussed about that. He just thinks Gareth Bale did quite well against me for an hour, and as you say, sort of for th- thirty minutes when when we were four 0 up and the game was finished. Yeah, I thought thought Micron. I don't understand why. English football has written off Maicon. He's he's not as good as he was. I don't think he's not. His peak was probably what four or five years ago when he was he was absolute, yeah. Him and him and Alves were absolutely the best two right backs in the world. Maicon has faded a little bit from that, but in, although he's been he was pretty good in Serie A last season. I think was. there was that that's obviously been ignored as well. It doesn't count. It didn't didn't happen here. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't understand why there was all this sort of hullabaloo about signing Maicon. He lost three million quid and he took a pay cut to join City. The question with Maicon is that City didn't need another right back. That's the only issue I have with that whole transfer. They didn't need to sign another right back, but he's a good player. Although in although Oli in, in, in this situation, um, they they kind of moved to three at the back in the second half, um, and I guess they needed a wing back in that situation, given the all the other right backs are injured, um, and contributed to the win. No. Oh, he, he, he contributed a lot. His introduction, I think, I think changed the game. I mean, City were, I would say, in the ascendancy um, when he came on, but his introduction enabled them to switch things and, and stretch Tottenham more and, and, and Bale was you know it, it was Bale that was the one sort of going backwards and not getting in the game rather than, rather than Mike on um, and I, I thought the, the, the change suited City perfectly I mean, it, suits, it suited Colorado it suited Mike on um, it freed up Silver a little bit because it meant he could move inside and um, yeah I, I thought that but, you know as much as the Jekko substitution um, changed the game and you know, I think it, it, given all the talk about Mancini's sort of move to three five two at times this season, I think it's, I think it's worth him getting some credit for, 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 for spotting that four four two wasn't working and for moving away from that to this much maligned system which uh, which brought Ward yesterday. Uh, Cass, I, w- I want to check this uh, over to you uh, because obviously you- you've often said about how um, Andre Villas Boas is your favourite manager and uh, and how he he's entirely justified and that Jermaine Defoe should never ever play because he doesn't understand the complicated things that Villas Boas uh, tells him. Um, clearly, this defeat is entirely Jermaine Defoe's fault and it's got nothing to do with Villas Boas, right? <laughs> No, um, Villas Boas to me. Uh... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, he's, he's a guy that has to make big decisions because Tottenham are very close to a good side. And he's, you know, I, I, I do like some of the signings he's, he's brought to the football club, especially Dembele. I think they're good players, but I, I, I look at the way he sets his team up, and a lot of Tottenham fans have been frustrated by certain teams they play against that they feel they should be superior, that they should take advantage of that, and say maybe go four four two. Now, the decision of not playing Jermaine Defoe, and, and like you touched on, with well, that's tactical, and he might not understand it. I don't really understand what a complicated role that would be. Because he knows that role, you know, whether it's because it's Man City away, the team were comfortable. They've been comfortable playing that way all season. Um, and I just thought he got it a little bit wrong. Um, you don't, Gab, you don't need to do a lot wrong in the modern game, as we know. Lots of top games are, are on an edge. It can go either way. So if you slightly get it wrong, you're going to lose the game. And I, th- I thought that was a slightly the case against, uh, against City. Although City were far better than they've been in recent weeks, I still thought Tottenham just didn't quite get it right tactically for me. Hey, Ollie, can you explain this, this tactical thing with... Because we had Defoe there, who's you know, not getting younger, and, and um, you can call him a super sub or whatever, but it, it seemed that Villas-Bow so much is predicated upon bringing Adebayor back. They make the loan permanent, and then we never see Adebayor, practically, um, certainly not as a starter until recently, and now it's Defoe. Can you shed any light on what's on the workings of Villas-Bow's mind when, when it comes to this point? Well, I, I'm guessing that he just didn't think 442 was the way to go. No, 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 no,
starting with one striker should preclude them from having a having a, another decent striker on the bench. I think if anything, they've got too few strikers rather than rather than too many. But um, I, I thought Adebayo did did, did well yesterday. The problem I thought Spurs had, apart from some of their defending um, and, and the fact they dropped a little deeper in the second half, was that. The, the, the three guys behind Adebayor, um, Lennon, Bale and Dempsey, I, I thought the three of them were poor. In today's debate, we discuss issues of race and sexuality, and as part of uh, what we hope is an adult debate, some of the people you will hear uh, don't use the terms like Y-word or N-word, but the actual words. Um, we hope this doesn't offend. Uh, it was felt that allowing people to speak out was an essential part of an important conversation. All right. I, I'd never really heard the name uh, Peter Herbert until uh, very recently, but obviously um, we've heard that name a lot because he likes to speak to the media a lot of times. Um, he's, he's a lawyer. He's, uh, he's an activist. Um, he, of course, waded into the business with the um, T-shirts, or the Kick It Out T-shirts, and uh, certain players not wearing them. Uh, now he's raised an issue, which, which I find absolutely um, fascinating which is uh, the fact that if you go to White Hart Lane or you, you watch Tottenham away, uh, you will see a proportion of their fans refer to themselves as the Yids or the Yiddos or uh, the Yid Army. Um, and, uh, and he's raised the point that this is actually uh, derogatory. And uh, because of the laws that you have in this country where the uh, police have to investigate race-related complaints on the public, um, he's already said, I believe, uh, November 20th. After that, if he hears a Spurs fan use the term Yid or Yiddo, uh, he will lodge a complaint with the police. Now, some people believe that it's, uh, it's an enormous waste of police time. Um, it should be pointed out that Tottenham have this image as a Jewish club, although, of course, they were founded by a bunch of nice Anglicans at All Hallows uh, Church. Um, but uh, this is, this is, it's one of those things where I don't really see a logical way out or a logical stance. Now, um, Ollie, I just starting with you, um, Peter Herbert makes a point that Spurs fans are kind of 40 years behind and that we just shouldn't have to hear that word at all. And even if you if you start yourself identifying, um, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, are you on board with that? Um, I, I am broadly. I, I, I don't like the word. I'm a very, I have a very distant Jewish background and that's got nothing to do with it. But um, it's you know I, I I was always I, I was always led to believe Yid was a was an offensive word and um, yeah I, I know that Spurs fans have reclaimed it almost and I, and I know that that has um, sort of quashed a lot of the chance that, that that they got coming the other way which um, which which show that in some way it's been successful but I mean I, I don't know it's 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 such a, a, a difficult argument, really. But I mean, instinctively, I, I, I feel uncomfortable with it. Like I would say, uncomfortable with Chris Rock or something like that. So if you're asking well, me, though, I, I don't is, like it. Uh, Ollie is one difference that when Chris Rock does it, he is actually reclaiming the world word, or he can make that argument because Chris Rock is black. The vast majority of Tottenham fans who sing Yiddo and Yid Army and whatever, whatever else, are not Jewish. Um, yep. And so when their singing engenders sort of this rabid, unpleasant, anti-Semitic response, it might actually affect them in a different way that it might affect a Jewish person who might have had to deal with anti-Semitism. 
Mm. No, well, it's, it's, it's quite right. And I mean, isn't there something similar with Ajax and, and their supporters? Um, That's right. It's, it's uh, and they and, and, and they have done sort of a similar reclaiming almost. And it's it's no, it's, 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 it's I mean. Uh, there are all kinds of arguments, and, and you, can't, you, you can't say, "Well, it's not the same." I'm just saying it, it's similar, um, and, and uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, a whole load of things that you could say are similar to it, but it doesn't mean that we should all be comfortable with all of them. I, I don't buy this argument about reclaiming words with either. Uh, well, I'm because I'm slightly less comfortable with these things than Ollie. I'm going to refer to as the Y word or the N word, uh, on the grounds that they're still offensive if they're used. I grew up in a in a Jewish part of Leeds, and that that word is is considered deeply offensive to Jewish people. That said, this is not the way to to try and sort of deal with this issue at all. Tottenham fans obviously aren't the majority aren't Jewish the, the Jewish roots of the club I, th- I think might be overplayed to an extent I think there's other clubs in England obviously Ollie's already mentioned mentioned Ajax who've got some kind of Jewish links sorry if I can jump in on that point um, having written about this in our sister paper the Wall Street Journal yesterday and having uh, um, well same owner uh, close enough and having read Simon Cooper's excellent book on Ajax and Dutch of the yeah. War the Ajax situation and, and, and you should read the book or, or read up on it because it is fascinating because that link there is even is even more tenuous. It's completely non-existent, basically, and and it's almost a little bit creepy, given that you know uh, there were 140,000 Jews living in, uh, in in Holland before the war, uh, and 120,000 of them um, never came back. So you here you have a country that actually uh, you could argue, apart from Poland, lost a higher proportion of its Jewish population than any other country in Europe in the Holocaust, and yet they run around with Jewish colors in a club that was not was not founded by Jews, had a stadium that many years ago used to be near a Jewish neighborhood, and that is the that is the extent of it. And you know, it that I think makes a lot of people uncomfortable. I think it goes well beyond there's also a, a high um, correlation between using the Star of David and whatever in, in, in hooliganism uh, and, and, and things like that, which isn't the case right now with uh, with Tottenham. No, but I think you probably look at the roots of the of the association. It's probably the same. That, so Spurs fans chant, call themselves Yid Army and, and what, what have you, because years ago, I presume, that chant was hurled at them in a negative connotation. That would be logical, mm-hmm. so they reclaimed the word. But reclaiming that word doesn't work. Because it is still offensive if if it's just as a white person can't call the black can't call a black person the n word despite rappers and Chris Rock and whoever reclaiming it for twenty years it doesn't work it's it's not the it's kind of a, a flawed argument but the problem that's trying to detracting a little bit from what Peter Herbert's doing which is taking something that's not meant in a racial context the non-Jewish Spurs fans chanting Yid Army are not being racist I guess the problem is that it does that prompt racism that's, yes. the, that's, the, that's the question that's the problem but reporting those Spurs fans to the police is not by some sort of weird proxy incitement of racial hatred is not the solution it's it's, a, it's, it's kind of causing more of a problem than it is aiding the, aiding the situation I so guess. You're, you're arguing that Peter Herbert should sneak into White Hart Lane and perhaps not report the people singing at Army but the, report the people who uh, respond with those Cyclone B uh, hissing noises. Yeah although they're, they're not quite as common I think as, as Peter Herbert believes. Uh, yeah I, they, I've heard them before but you hear them very rarely Ollie, Ollie's been going to Spurs probably for longer than I have but yeah they're not they're not sort of it's not every week that you hear them. Holly, who lives in the north of England. Um, uh, Cass, I, 
your take on this? I mean, you know, obviously you, you grew up in the, in the southeast of England. Um, is this, are you down, and obviously you've got, how can I say this, issues of identity? Um, <laughs> I, do you buy this sort of self, um, you know, did you buy this sort of, sort of self-empowerment? I mean... Um, Gab, I find it, I think like us all, we all walk on eggshells talking about it. We find it difficult to understand. Um, I've listened to Rory there about reclaiming words and I grew up with Paul Elliott. I knew Paul since I was about 11 uh, and we played together at Chelsea and now he works for the FA, um, obviously tackling racism. And I remember sitting at a table one day having a chat with Paul and um, just saying about the N-word, you know, that black people, you know, will, will say it and he then explained to me why it was okay. And I said, I didn't understand it. I said, I can't understand it. If it's a derogatory word and it's an offensive word, why is it okay? And, you know, explained all due to the slavery and everything. So I, I think we all get caught up in, we, we're not quite sure how we stand, or, or what's right and what's wrong. I just feel if something is wrong, like you said, the Y word and like the M word, if it's wrong and offensive, why, why can anybody use it? I, I don't get it. I, I, I get lost in it. And I think we all tend to shy away from, you know, from the, the bare facts for me are, come on, let's, let's, let's do this together and let's understand it all together. We're all in it. If we want to fight racism and offensive things, we have to all be in the, singing off the same hymn sheet, which we are totally, I don't think we're not. That's part of the problem. Well, can I, sorry, you guys seem to have this issue with, uh, with the empowerment and the N-word. I, I can give you one example where perhaps a word has been almost entirely robbed of its derogatory connotations precisely because it was reclaimed, and the obvious is, is the term queer, um, which, you know, is maybe it's not being, I mean, Rory's making a face because maybe it's that, that word makes him a bit uncomfortable, but among uh, the, the, the LGBT community, uh, certainly having... They use the word queer increasingly, and as as a means of self-identifying, and and that words yeah, people, that, people make that argument. That's fine, and I get that, and, and the argument can be made with the N word as well. If someone says the word queer in a homophobic context in a homophobic way, it is still offensive. I've I've heard people use the word queer in a, in a context that I would consider offensive to gay people. Right, but then you can use the word homosexual in the context that that's it's, offensive to gay people that's too. That's much, much harder to use the word homosexual in a sort of in an offensive way. It's that with you're a homosexual. Do you know what I mean? That's not that's not offensive. Queer is is a loaded term to me. I I, I know what you're saying, and I'm not not necessarily saying you're wrong, but it is a these are all loaded terms. The question surely has to be for Peter Herbert or whoever. Are they being used in a loaded way? I'm just going to leave you guys with this thought to uh, wrap this up. The one thing that makes me uncomfortable um, about Tottenham's reaction, the reaction of Tottenham fans, is pretty much the same thing that makes me uncomfortable when a whole bunch of old white heterosexual men decide what a woman should do with her body and her reproductive rights. And that is the fact that the I don't know that Jewish Tottenham, the Tottenham fans who are Jewish, who are directly uh, impacted by this. I don't know to what degree they've been broadly consulted and to what degree they're sort of might feel pressure to go along with this because this is the way it's always been. And look at it. Isn't it funny? And we're the yids and tee hee hee. 
All right, time now for some quick hits. Liverpool grab a point at Stamford Bridge, but Rory, that looked like a pretty obvious shove by your friend Luis Suarez on Ramirez uh, for his equalizer. Uh, would you rather talk about Suarez's continued cheating and embarrassment uh, or how maybe a referee behind the goal might have actually spotted it since evidently Howard Webb was looking elsewhere? Yeah, I think Howard Webb was looking at Jamie Carragher's header uh, to set up the chance for Suarez. It was a push, no question about that. A little bit of, of uh, cheating pen- penalty box cunning. I think is how I would prefer to, to cast it. Uh, he played very well. Suarez probably deserved the goal. Yeah, I'd, there's no question that in that circumstance, a, a do- an assistant referee behind the behind the goal line would have, would have spotted it and would have ruled the goal out. No question. That's why it's quite a good idea. Those assistants do more more good than harm. Thank you. My sentiments exactly. Great day for Olivier Giroud. Horrible day for Mikel Arteta. Three goals scored, but three goals conceded for Arsene Wenger. Ollie, this one's real easy. Is Arsenal's glass half full or half empty? And if it's empty, how empty is it? <laughs> the Arsenal situation can never be adequately summed up by you know a phrase such as half full or half empty. Is it black or is it white? There are huge grey areas with Arsenal. They are a decent team that is rebuilding it again after losing players that they shouldn't have lost. Um, they're not bad, but they're, but they are 11 points off the, off the top. They're, they're um, well short of top four form at the moment. They need to improve. Um, Saturday just underlined a lot of the frailties that we've seen over the last few seasons. They're not in a, a terrible place. They're, they're doing all right under certain circumstances, but they need to be better. Staying at the Emirates, Dimitar Berbatov looked impressive once again. Cass, might he be the signing of the summer, apart from Jakob, of course? Um, or is it the Arsenal defence that's actually quite rubbish? Um, well, he's certainly given a new dimension to Fulham. And, you know, and taking a guy at his age uh, who doesn't rely on pace, who's got an incredibly gifted brain about playing football and is a cool and cl- uh, collective figure on the pitch... He's added a lot. I thought Ruiz as well for Fulham has, has, has done brilliant since he's come. Um, and I thought he's great business by Martin Yeo. And you consider £4 million. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a player that I think should be at a top four club. I, when he left United, I couldn't believe none of the other major clubs didn't try to, to, to get Dimitar Berbatov. West Ham went away at Newcastle, and hey, presto, they're right up near the Champions League. Uh, Rory, you're a huge fan of Sam Allardyce and his methods. Uh, any deeper meaning to the fact that the Hammers are flying so high? I think there is. I think they're one of very few teams in the Premier League who can defend, and I include all the top, all the top sides in that. I think what Allardyce, this is just a normal Allardyce team with all the usual sort of flaws and positives and negatives and failings and all that. They're not, not particularly great to watch. They're not exactly exciting or, or, or beautiful or aesthetic pleasing but they can defend they're solid they don't they don't ship many goals they're, they're well organized at the back and that in this league and to be honest across most of Europe is, pre- is pretty rare at the moment a lot of teams are struggling with I think with the sort of new rules on outlawing tackling and Allardyce's side aren't they, they can defend and that's why they're, they're sick they won't stay there but yeah they'll be they'll finish I would guess possibly top 10 Top 10 for West Ham. Well done, Big Sam. Uh, it's now six games unbeaten for Everton, and they just won't go away. Ollie, here's a broader question for you. Um, Moyes recognized that they were a bit lucky in their 2-1 win over Sunderland. Does the fact that Everton and, for that matter, matter, West Brom are so high up the table suggest that maybe some of the highly paid managers who look after wealthier clubs with bigger wage bills really aren't that good? And don't worry, I won't make you name names. Well, I mean, if, if, if you are talking about the managers of 
Spurs, Arsenal, Liverpool, then uh, all three of those clubs are having some early season TV problems with, with a lot of people over the summer. And I'm talking about the managers, Sunderland, QPR, teams like that. Well, in terms of more highly paid managers, I think I think Moyes up there with uh, with, with those managers in terms of how he should, of course, be um, paid a lot more than them. And, he, and he's got a situation now where he's um, in the final year of his contract and um, and he's about to negotiate a new one. Everton fans have, um, but I, I think rather than uh, dwell on how poorly other teams are doing, I, I, I prefer to praise Moyes for what he does because I, I think t- Tony Evans gets it absolutely spot on in his column in the Times this morning. Uh, I think Moyes has been has worked absolute wonders at Everton. No, there hasn't been a trophy. Yes, they've only got into the top four once and never quite into the Champions League, but they are a team that consistently performs at very least two and, and often beyond expectations. Anything. Um, well, my feelings for David Moyes, of course, are, are, are public knowledge. Um, we are nearly lovers. Uh, speaking of West Brom, um, they've kind of snuck up on us. Um, what's Steve Clark doing right? And obviously, it's not really all down to Jakob uh, bossing the uh, midfield, but um, it is a big part of it. Um, I mean, do you get it, Cass? Macaulay, Olsen, great defensive partnership. Where is this all coming from? Well, I think first and foremost, Gab, I think when Steve Clark walked into the club, he didn't do a big upheaval. You know, he knew he had the pace of Odin Wingy along. Uh, he's got people like Dorans in midfield, Gira, good footballers, can get you a goal, be, be creative. And I think he just kept it, you know, from what Roy Hodgson had started and sort of has tried to add slightly to that. I mean, it was their first away win this season, uh, which was a big plus for them. They were a very, very good home side, West Brom, and they put in some good performances. And I, I think Steve Clark's just been an intelligent guy, knowing not to change too much too quickly. Uh, and that's been the most impressive thing for me. Uh, yeah, one for you. Lazio won the Rome derby on Sunday, and Daniele De Rossi got himself sent off in the silliest of ways. Did a screw come loose? Uh, I, I fear it did. It was uh, uh, basically uh, toward the end of the first half. It was two one. It was a downpour, monsoon-like conditions, but Roma still in it, and uh, he just goes and punches Stefano Mauri uh, in the face on a, on, on a corner kick. I actually suspect, or it was a set piece actually, I actually suspect that um, he he figured he had a way of doing it in like a sneaky uh, Uruguayan sort of way uh, with that, but then he forgot that there was a referee behind the goal. Um, but lots of questions, he's going to face a long ban now. Uh, Roma, of course, went on to lose that game 3-2. Um, and of course, given his contract situation and his relationship with Zenig Zeman, uh, there's going to be a lot of people are going to speculating, well, they're speculating already that he might have played his last game for Roma. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts or email gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. Remember, you can go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis, our, our web chats. Rory's is on Monday, so unfortunately, you'll probably have to wait till next week to catch him. Uh, same goes for Rory's blog, which is also Mondays. Uh, Ollie K doesn't have a blog, but that's okay because you can find him in the paper most days. And, of course, Cass's excellent column is in the game on Mondays, probably the second uh, biggest reason to read the game every Monday. Uh, Till next time, bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.